We want to get this information out to as many people as possible. I want people to be able to have the knowledge to help themselves and help themselves recover. I want them, the physicians, to start learning this new understanding of why people are sick and what it is we can do to help them get better. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 143 of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. I am super excited for this podcast today. How excited? Well, I tell you, when I got the email from his people that he would like to be on the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, I jumped out of my seat. The reason being is because when I first started my journey into functional medicine, I bought a book for this gentleman called Total Recovery. And as I read the book, I was like, yes, this doctor gets it. He's treating the whole system, not just the person or the disease. He's treating the whole person. I was super excited when he wanted to come on my show about his new book, Why Are You Still Sick?, which is being released as we speak. And I suggest you get a copy. Dr. Gary Kaplan is the founder and medical director of Kaplan Center for Integrative Medicine and the author of Total Recovery, as I mentioned, a revolutionary new approach to breaking the cycle of pain and depression. A pioneer and leader in the field of integrative medicine, Dr. Kaplan is one of only 19 physicians in the country board certified in both family medicine and pain medicine. Dr. Kaplan is passionate about using multidisciplinary and alternative medicine strategies to address the underlying chronic conditions. His forthcoming book, Why Are You Still Sick?, is being released as we speak or as you listen to this episode. So I highly recommend you get a copy and enjoy this episode. We go into all kinds of good stuff from autism to Alzheimer's to Parkinson's to POTS and PANDAS and ADD and even touch base on long hauler syndrome. Enjoy this episode, and please take a minute and rate and review my show. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, and have an amazing day. Dr. Gary Kaplan, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast today. What an honor to have you. I am completely honored to be here, Tom, and a complete pleasure for being here, and I Man, love, love what you're doing. I, when I first when I saw the email come across from the people that sent it to me that you wanted to be on my show, I was like, I was there, like, there's no question. No question. I almost felt, I'm almost, I jumped out of my seat. I said, I can't believe it. Dr. Garrett Kaplan. Anyway, the reason being is, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of your work. And I loved your first book, Total Recovery. And not to mention that you're a pioneer and leader in the field of integrative medicine. Three, triple board certified. And man, I, like I said, we were just talking. I read your book in 2017. And the first words out of my mouth, right after I read the chapter about Billy, mm-hmm. was this guy gets it. Treat the body as a whole system, not just a not just a little problem, 
And with Gary, it was the genetic snips that were missing. Yep. Right? Am I right? Billy with Billy. Right. Yeah. That, that nobody ever asked that question. And until you, until, as if, man, I just get so geeked about this because you, you have to be yeah, like Columbo with clients. In a sense, in a sense, you've got to start with a curious mind. And when somebody, so I will give you a most recent example within my own family. My daughter has a minor injury, not even quite clear what the injury was to her right ankle. And she, it starts swelling and she's in serious pain. And I took a look at it and I said, sweetie, you have a condition that's called complex regional pain syndrome which is a serious problem. It's a, it, everything hurts. Air brushing across it hurts. It swells, it's a problem. So I, it's not appropriate for me to care for her. I sent her to a colleague of mine as a pain specialist and she started working on her and I'm sitting there going, she's treating the pain. That's the symptom. And I'm sitting there going, why does my daughter suddenly have complex regional pain syndrome? And I happen to know that chronic regional Pain syndrome is an autoimmune disease. That is where the body has started to attack itself. So I'm going, okay, this is my specialty. This is what I do. So uh, I asked my colleague to run a bunch of tests on her. So what could have potentially set this off? She has Lyme disease. Mm. Mm. She has Lyme disease, and Lyme disease tripped off the, inf the infection, tripped off the immune response, which overreacted, and then uh, it started to attack itself. Had we not asked that question, she would have been condemned to a lifetime of pain with this, this leg of hers. We are now getting her dramatic. She's not 90% better, but we had to treat the Lyme first, and now we can treat the autoimmune component of it, and her foot will be fine. But without asking what, that, what it was that caused the pain to start, as opposed to just treating the pain, she, she would have stayed sick. Hmm. And... This is the problem in medicine today is we don't, we look at the symptom, but we don't step back and say, okay, how did that happen? We label things chronic fatigue, but we don't say, what does that mean? We're getting better at it now because of all the post-COVID stuff, the long haulers. And all of a sudden people say, oh, wait a minute, chronic fatigue's real because the major symptom for most of these long haulers is fatigue and it can be crippling fatigue. We're not just talking, I'm tired at the end of the day. We're talking bed bound crippling fatigue. I served on uh, the advisory committee at Health and Human Services for four years, the chronic MECSF, the so myalgia encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue advisory committee to Health and Human Services to help them establish policy. And one of the things we did was we constantly had hearings listening to patient stories. And it was horrific the way most of these people had been treated. They're told they're crazy. They're told they're faking. They're told they're malingering. And the docs aren't listening to them. The docs don't know what to do with them. And if you sit and you take the story and you sit and you get clarity on it, you can start understanding the fact that A, they're for real. They're very, very sick individuals. And B, uh, as you get the story back, you can start finding the things that brought them to this point. A number of them are because they've been poisoned. They have problems with mold toxins. Some of them are because of heavy metals. Now, where could you possibly get heavy metals from? Well, eating fish, for one, I just had a young lady who part of her problems, she's 
crippling fatigue and, and behavioral problems. Uh, she's about 14 years old. And as I'm getting her history, I'm finding out that she only eats tuna fish for lunch. Well, oh my goodness. the FDA says you're if pregnant, you're only allowed to have two cans of tuna fish a week. Why? Because the mercury content is so high. She's eating tuna fish every single day. Hmm. Test her. Sure enough, she has mercury toxicity. We need to treat that. Now, for mercury, the good news is most of the time, if you simply stop giving it to them, the body will clear it. But lead is a common heavy metal toxin from our water supply. Probably upwards of about 35% of our water supply is contaminated with lead. We had an outbreak of lead toxicity occur in New Orleans several years ago after the flooding, uh, where they were uh, rehabbing all these old mansions. They're sanding down the outside of them, which is all lead-based paint. Mm. They aerosolized all the lead-based paint uh, while they're sandblasting these things. The kids were suddenly coming down with lead toxicity. Well, guess what? So were the adults. But we look at the kids because of the developing brain. The fact of the matter is in adults, they get hypertension. They get neurologic diseases also. You've got lead is a real problem in our environment. Mercury is a real problem in our environment. And then simple things. We have a real problem with uh, foods in our country. All right. So in about 3% of the population, well, back that up. 1% of the population is true celiac disease. Celiac is an autoimmune disease to wheat, gluten. 1% of the population. But somewhere between 8 to 16% of the population is gluten intolerant. I think the majority problem with those individuals is that they're not a problem with gluten or breads. Their problem is glyphosates, the herbicides we use mm -hmm. on the plants. Why do I think that? I think that for several reasons. One is I know that we spray the glyphosates to get rid of the weeds and increase crop yield. Although in wheat, what we do is we spray it to dry the wheat as a drying agent. The plants, which are GMOs, genetically modified, to be insensitive to the herbicides, so they'll thrive while the herbs, while the uh, the weeds die, and you get higher crop yield. But the problem is the plants take it up, and it stays in the plant throughout the processing. It ends up in your Cheerios on your breakfast table. All right. So I have patients who we've gluten free completely in order to help as part of their problem, but they go to France. They don't allow GMOs in France. They don't allow glyphosates in France. They can eat the baguettes. They can eat the croissants. And they don't have any problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is we're poisoning our nest. And we have to be aware of that. And so one of the places you want to start in terms of improving your health is eat as clean as possible and pay attention to where you're getting your water from. Pay attention to what other toxins are potentially in your environment and doing damage to you. Because it weakens your immune system. It weakens uh, your nervous system. And then it makes you susceptible to all kinds of other problems. So mold toxins, big problem in water damage buildings. Basically, mold grows where there's food. So what happens is cellulose, stuff in your walls, is food. Add moisture, mold likes it. Now, mold in and of itself isn't the problem, but the toxins that mold kick off are. To everybody, no. To about 20% of the population. That's where you were talking about the genetic steps before. So you can have genes 
genes say you might develop. They don't always guarantee. Some express fully through, but most, for instance, in celiac, about 30% of the population is genetically predisposed to develop celiac, but only 3% of that population will ever get celiac. So most people who have the genes don't express. They express because of this concept of epigenetics, this thing on top of the gene that turns it on or turns it off. That can be environmental pollutants. That can be heavy metals. That can be infections. There's a whole list of things that can be a problem and and set things off. So it's the genes plus the environmental exposure that will result in the expression. So in in this case, 20% of the population approximately doesn't, isn't able to handle mold toxins. While the mold toxins get in, they're immunosuppressants. They suppress the functioning of your immune system. They suppress the functioning of your brain. They damage the brain. And so brain fog, focus and concentration issues, fatigue, problems with pain, headaches, all of these are symptoms of an inflamed brain. All of these are symptoms of an impaired immune system. And so we need to be thinking in terms of root causes in order to address the problem. And if we're going to talk about root causes, then we got to quit looking at depression and obsessive compulsive disorder and pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome and post-COVID and chronic Lyme syndrome and chronic pain. And we have to instead step back and say, okay, what's broken in the system? Do we have toxins in the system? Do we have problems with the gut microbiome that needs to be repaired? Do we have infections in the system that haven't been treated yet, been recognized? And then is the immune system itself damaged so that it is now attacking our own bodies? It's a bit complicated, but that's why I wrote the book, Why You're Still Sick. That'll be coming out June 14th. Why You're Still Sick is an explanation of all this, but it's also a step-by-step-by-step guide into the testing you can do and how you can recover and we get to optimal health again. So it's the book is really self-help, but it's also extremely well-researched and it's designed to help educate the physicians, but it's also designed to educate people to be able to help themselves because there's about 20 million people out there at least who need this information and I've got to get it into their hands. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree 100%. You know, we're, you touched base on a, a lot of things there. Let's talk about the gut-brain connection, because this is where a lot of people miss the boat, even physicians, allopathic physicians, miss the boat on this connection between the gut and the brain. And it's a huge connection. And That's absolutely correct. We hear about leaky gut, but we don't hear about leaky brain. And it's a big deal. Yes, it is. And that's where a lot of these immune autoimmune things are coming from. Well, 75% of the immune system sitting in your gut. And so uh, the reality of the matter is our second brain is the gut microbiome. This is this mixture is about two and a half pounds of it. And it's this mixture of uh, DNA and RNA from all kinds of bacteria. Uh, it's about a thousand different species with many subspecies of bacteria in the gut microbiome. There's mold in the gut microbiome. There's uh, parasites that have been in the gut microbiome. So there's a lot of things that make this up. And basically, the interaction of the gut microbiome with the gut wall determines the health of the gut wall. 
So the health of the gut wall, there's these things called tight junctions. So let's define leaky gut. There's these things called tight junctions where the cells come really close to each other, but there's a space between them that's lined with all kinds of immune cells. And it, the objective is for the to allow uh, nutrients to pass into the bloodstream and keep everything else out. If the gut is inflamed because the gut microbiome isn't healthy, then what happens is those tight junctions become not so tight. They open and then large molecules of food can pass in there and other things. Now, one of the things that happens is the body doesn't like large molecules. So the body sees large molecules and it says, that is something that doesn't belong there. I need to make an antibody to that. The next thing you know, you are sensitive to a whole bunch of different foods that you wouldn't be sensitive to if your gut were healthy. Now you got a generalized inflammatory process going on. The other thing is there is a ton of information that travels back and forth between the brain and the gut. Some of it travels directly via the vagus nerve. Others travel into the bloodstream via all kinds of different chemicals, cytokines, um, and uh, certain fatty acids. So all of that stuff travels into the blood, gets to the brain. There is a very simple rule. Unhealthy gut, unhealthy brain. Unhealthy brain, unhealthy gut. If the gut is leaky, the blood-brain barrier, which is part of what protects the brain from so much in the blood, is also leaky. And so now what's happening is things are getting into the brain that have no business being there, and you've got a generalized inflammation in your brain, in addition to the generalized inflammation in your body, in addition to dysfunction of the gut. So repairing the gut, taking care of the gut is crucial. To It's kind of fundamental to your whole health. You got to watch your diet. You got to also test your gut. So there are testing such as biome is one particular test that you can do on the uh, gut microbiome. There's other uh, tests that we use, organic acid tests from uh, Great Plains. And, uh, and I have no interest in any of these companies. So <laughs> I'm just telling you the kind of companies right. that we use. And I mentioned them in the book. And uh, Genova also has some blood te uh, stool testing that can be done. So there's a number of different labs. You have to understand the limitations of the labs. Um, and the limitation and how to interpret the data. But these are all ways of finding out how healthy your gut is and whether or not you need to be taking probiotics, whether or not and what kind of probiotics might be best for you or prebiotics. Prebiotics are the substances that help their, the non-digestible, non-soluble uh, fiber that helps the probiotics grow. Uh, the probiotics help determine the health of the gut so, and they produce lots of pieces of information that travel through the gut wall to the brain via the bloodstream. So all of this stuff needs to be working in order for you to be healthy. And if you get bacterial overgrowth, that moves so most of the bacteria in the gut belongs in the large intestine. If you're getting bloating, gas, diarrhea, all right, maybe the problem is a bunch of that bacteria backed up into the small intestine. That doesn't belong there. So now you have what's called small intestine bacterial overgrowth, all right, SIBO. So that needs to be tested for also that can be tested with breath test to determine whether or not you're producing too much methane or hydrogen. And it could also identify how far along the track that is. So there's a lot of things that come into play in terms of getting your gut restored to health and keeping it healthy. The other thing that you have to pay attention to is medications. So opioid medications, mm. opioids at one point back, back in the late 90s, my 
my one of my societies, American Academy of Pain Medicine, said it would be a spiffy idea to start giving opioids to people who had chronic pain, benign pain syndromes. Probably one of the stupidest and most damaging things we decided to do. Absolutely. And uh, and it was based on bad science, and it was based on uh, really having this stuff shoved down our throats because they were uh, the Sacklers were spending a huge amount of money on our conferences. Thank you very much. So they had an over-influence on what was going on. And this is where my book, Total Recovery, came out of, because we started using the opioids on patients and found they were getting depressed. And then we found that when we took them off, they were getting pain. I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I'm fortunate that I had colleagues over at NIH uh, who were willing to sit down with me and colleagues over at Georgetown Neurosciences. And so greeting of a group of us, who were psychiatrists, pain medicine specialists, and neuroscience, looking at this stuff of what was going on and what made sense. The answer was the brain was getting inflamed. And what we needed to do is find out what caused the brain to get inflamed, how to treat that inflammation. And then we got results that we were not getting and the damage we were doing with the opioids. Is the opioids, aside from anything else, screw up gut motility. So the gut has to be able to move in order to go from your mouth down to your anus. The gut, the foods, the stool's got to be able to move through. If it doesn't do that, it sits there and ferments. It starts making gases it should not be making. It starts causing an inflammatory reaction in your gut. So the opioids are creating problems, not so much solving them. Now, that doesn't mean nobody should take opioids. But you need to be extremely careful and thoughtful about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you've got to be, the opioids do damage in terms of uh, neuronal damage at the same time, and they impair the immune system. There's a lot wrong with opioids. Short term, fine. Long term, not such a spiffy idea. And more importantly, all they do is cover up the symptom. They don't treat the underlying cause. And we have far more success when we go after the underlying cause of what the problem is. And that's brain inflammation. In the brain of my first book, I talked about the innate immune yep. system with the microglia. And then if you look at the microglia, you know, what sets off a microglia? Well, infections can set it off, but so can damage to the brain. What damages the brain? Because when brain cells break up, things that are inside the cell get outside the cell, and that sets off the microglia. So one of the things is hypoxia, low oxygen. What causes low oxygen? Well, if you're snoring loudly and your wife places the pillow over your head so you can't breathe, <laughs> uh, that will certainly do it. But the other thing that'll do it is if you have sleep apnea. And that loud snoring may be a warning that you have sleep apnea. And what's happening is you're going to bed at night and you stop breathing periodically during the night. Well, that causes inflammation in your brain. You wake up despite the fact having eight, nine, 10, 12 hours of sleep, and you feel like crap. You can't stay awake during the day. You're exhausted all the time. You're so tired, you can be falling asleep at stoplights. Or you're so tired, you can be falling asleep taking a patient history. I happen to know someone who had that problem. Me. And I had originally been told I didn't have it. And then I, my wife said, absolutely, you have it. Go get rechecked. And sure enough, I have actually one of the worst cases of sleep apnea uh, of everybody who I know in the practice. 
5% of the American population has sleep apnea. 85% of them are undiagnosed. Hmm. And it can be done with a home test now. We don't have to put you in a sleep lab. There's a thing called a watch pad that you can order the watch pad. Uh, we have it in the office. Uh, we you can send it out. You put the thing on, it, all the instructions are with it. You send the results back. Everything's done via telemed. And we can diagnose whether or not you've got sleep apnea. Hmm. And the device is disposable. So it's there's really no excuse for not making that diagnosis these days. So looking for things like sleep problems can be one of the things that could save your life because untreated sleep apnea, by the way, that'll take 10 years off your life. Causes high blood pressure, causes headaches, causes chronic pain, causes focus and concentration issues, fatigue, right? All these things can be, I, I got my sleep apnea treated and I've got more energy than I had when I was 20. Wow. It made that huge a difference in my life. And it was just spectacular. I get seven hours of sleep. I am done. I am awake. I am ready to roll. And I work 12-hour days. Don't necessarily recommend the 12-hour day work. But I enjoy myself. <laughs> I love what I do. Well, I love it. And you're very good at what you do. And, I, and this brings me to a point that I really want to make here is that people like that, that go to see the physician have to learn how to ask questions and have to stop and say, look, I'm not agreeing with you. I want to see more results or labs. Let's go just, I mean, because this whole brain, the flame in the brain and inflammation is, is, is detrimental to our health in so many ways, you know, and the leaky brain, the leaky gut. And, and, and if, to get a doctor to do a stool sample, or, I mean, it's impossible to even get a, a hemoglobin A1C. Yes. Or a full thyroid panel, as we discussed earlier. But you know, these are what a full thyroid panel is. A full thyroid panel is thyroid stimulating hormone, which comes out of pituitary gland to tell the thyroid to make uh, to make thyroid. Right. Uh, it then you need to measure free T three and free T four. Free T four is the major uh, thyroid produced by the thyroid gland, but the major active form of thyroid is T three. Okay, which is T4 converted in the periphery be an enzyme to T, uh, T3. So T4 gets converted to T3. And that's the most important active form of thyroid. And you want to measure reverse T3. Because what happens is when the T4 is effectively being converted to T3, reverse T3 will go up. So it's not until you've got at least that much of a picture right. uh, before you can really understand the health of the thyroid system. So that you know, you gotta you gotta know what testing to do. So look, what I mean, what, since let's just hold the leak or the brain on fire here for a minute. What what do you recommend a patient do to stand up for themselves when they go to their physician? I think the first thing is you've got to get somebody willing to listen to you, and if they're not willing to listen to you, fire them. My sister-in-law just went to a physician with a concern of. Uh, a blood in her urine, and the doc did not examine her. The doc ordered a blood test, a blood count, didn't order urine, and told her that her that she was fine. And I had some harsh words and suggested that we perhaps have her evaluated by somebody else. 
So, I mean, this is, this is, and she knew that this was nonsense, that, the, that she was not getting the care she needed. So and we had talked briefly about the problem is docs are trained by insurance companies to do as little as possible and spend as little as time. My average, my average, my, my intake on a patient is two hours long. I sit and I walk through full story. I want to know the first question I ask him, you were healthy until when? When was the last time you were in excellent health? Now, the very first thing almost all my patients do is they lie to me. I was in great health until five years ago when fill in the blank happened. Okay. And I've had this problem ever since. I said, fine. So we take all that information and then I go system by system by system. Any history of headaches? Oh, yeah, I've had headaches since I was 13. Really? Okay. Migraines? Yes. Okay. So perhaps not completely healthy. Uh, and how's your sleep? Oh, you know, I have trouble falling asleep. I'll take something to help me get to sleep. Never rest in the morning. How long has that been? Oh, that's been since college. And so you go on and on and on, and you start finding that there's a long history of things that started before that were the setup, before things turned over. And then they they suddenly weren't able to do what they were able to do before. Their marathons, play tennis the way they were playing, whatever it was they were traveling, they were managing to get through. And the other thing that I'll see is, especially in my teenagers, uh, teenagers have a massive amount of resilience in their system. And they'll come in and they are unbelievably sick and still running around. They've got Lyme disease. They've got chronic strep. They've got autoimmune disease going on. And, and they don't want to slow down enough to, get, to take the medicines and do what they need to do to get better. Uh, but there will come a time when they crash. And I see it, unfortunately, when they hit their 20s and in college, and the next thing you know, they've got depression and anxiety disorders. And all of this is neuroinflammatory disease that could have been prevented had we gotten to it earlier. And then the other tragedy that I see is in 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds who start developing obsessive-compulsive disorder or developing weird behavioral disorders, and they get told they're crazy. Okay, and they see the psychiatrist, and they put on all kinds of different medications, and then they uh, start cutting behavior, and they end up hospitalized for suicidal ideation. Now, can you imagine the damage that does to the self-esteem of a teenager? More commonly, uh, women than men, but nevertheless, the damage that does that you've now been labeled crazy for the last four years of your life, when in fact the problem was an infection that caused your immune system to break and start attacking your brain. So it was attacking the infection, but it was also attacking your brain by mistake. That's called an autoimmune disorder. The end result of which is your brain's all inflamed. You're acting this way because the brain's inflamed and they've missed the diagnosis. Let's talk about pots and pandas while we're on this because sure. pandas and pots both are something that could, that, you know, that often or really get misdiagnosed a lot. Yes. yes. And, and it's a simple solution if only somebody would ask the right questions. Okay. POTS, <clears throat> post-orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. What happens with these people is they go from sitting to standing, their heart rate fires up, possibly 120, 140, just from sitting and standing. They get lightheaded and they can pass out. That, by the way, also sets off inflammation in the brain. It's called hypoxia, loss of blood flow to the brain. Okay? And so you've got to be able to 
fix that problem. Now, you'll see that frequently it gets more complicated. I just uh, talked with a kid who had that problem as a result of post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Set that off. Uh, a lot of these kids also have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a disease of the connective uh, tissue where they stretch. They're really flexible. If you've ever been to the circus and you've seen a contortionist, <laughs> yes. that's EDS. That's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And there's a bunch of subtypes, but the most common is hypermobile. Testing for it is really kind of straightforward. You can take your thumb, if you can bend it back and touch your wrist, most people can't do that without breaking something. EDS patients can do that. If you put your hand flat on the table and lift up your index finger and get it straight up or even back, that's hypermobile. If you can hyperextend your elbows or hyperextend your knees, that's hypermobile. We give you points for each of these things. If you can bend forward and put your hands flat on the floor and not have to bend your knees, okay? All of those things, as you add them up on what's called a bite and scale, and bite and scales can be looked up online. They're easy uh, to do at home. And you can see if you've got hypermobility, because if you have EDS, it's crucial that your doctor know that. And that is very frequently missed. How frequently? I diagnosed it on a 17-year-old whose mother sat there and said, she does not have EDS. And I said, I assure you, she has EDS. And went went through all the testing, and the mother's sitting there gap jaw. Why is the mother gap jaw? The mother's a pediatrician. Mm. Didn't see it in her own child. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's not, if you don't, there are two diagnoses you make, those you make and those you think about. If you're not thinking about the diagnosis, you miss it. Mm. So POTS frequently associated with EDS, but POTS can also be associated with this autoimmune process that occurs as a result of infections that cause the immune system to break. So POTS, simple diagnosis, basically you're lying down flat for uh, five minutes. You check your blood pressure and your pulse with a home uh, blood pressure cuff. You then stand up and you check your blood pressure and your pulse without you moving around at one minute, three minute, and five minutes. And if the pulse changes from lying down flat to uh, to a number that's in a teenager, 40 or more from that baseline, or changes uh, 30 or more in an adult, that's pretty much indicative of having POTS. Now, we can formally make that diagnosis with what's called a tilt table test for the cardiologist. But at least you walk in and you go, hey, I've got these numbers. I'm getting lightheaded. I don't feel good. And that's the beginnings of at least the conversation. So you can come in armed with that information. PANS and PANDAS, trickier. So pediatric uh, acute onset neuropsychiatric disorder. The problem... I have with that is, and I have the greatest respect and appreciation for Suedo, Dr. Suedo, who originally coined this uh, term and made this diagnosis back in the 90s. She's done pioneering work, and I have kudos to her. Nothing but the greatest respect to her. The problem is that really what this is, is an encephalopathy. It's a brain inflammation. And so uh, we get focused a little bit too much on the, on the psychiatric presentation and not enough focused on the fact that it's the brain that's inflamed. So PANDAS was originally diagnosed based on strep. So uh, pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome of strep, that's PANDAS. So these kids got a strep infection. And again, obviously you need some level of genetic predisposition. 
And the next thing that happens is they can develop all kinds of behavioral problems. They can have tics. They can have obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had kids who got into rage attacks and they're, they start, I one kid do thousands of dollars worth of damage to the household. Uh, they will run away. They'll have regressive behavior where there's talking baby talk again. And most recently, I had a young lady who developed paralysis from the, from the waist down. She has Lyme disease. We started treating her. She started herxing. Part of the herx reaction on her was uh, the development of this paralysis. And I said to the parents, look, this actually happens. She's going to be all right, but we have to have the neurologist look at her and say that she's okay. And then when they tell you she needs to see a psychiatrist, you just ignore that piece, and I'll tell you she'll be walking in two weeks. And indeed, that's what happened. The neurologic workup was completely normal. And two weeks later, the child was walking in and completely fine. She's not faking. She's got an inflammation in her brain. And at that point in time, that caused the, the disconnect motor so that she wasn't able to walk. And it's one thing if you see this once, it's another thing when you see it two times, three times, and four times, and five times. As you're seeing these kids, they're not faking, they're very sick. And you've got to treat uh, the infections that may be creating the problem. So PANDAS is about strep. PANS is the same thing except caused by other infections. And there's a whole list. Lyme disease is certainly on that list, mm. but a bugs called mycoplasma pneumonia is on that list. Toxoplasma. There's a list of bugs that you have to go looking for. Uh, Epstein Barr, mono, is on that list. So there, influenza, and now COVID. So these are things that you have to go looking for that can, viruses and bacterial infections that can set off this problem. And so we want to uh, be thorough in our exams, and we're way too quick to say the kid's crazy. The kid's not crazy. The kid's sick, and. And we are making them sicker by failing to make the proper diagnosis. Let me ask you a question since we talked about psychiatrists a bit here. Do you believe that psychiatrists would, should start running some lab work before they prescribe pharmaceuticals? Absolutely, positively. Because I, I think, and we talked about a little bit about this because poly, in my opinion, polypharmacy or over prescribing. Is, is happening far too much these days. It's too easy to write a prescription uh, quickly. Basically, you get in, what's the symptoms? Here's, here's the prescription for it to go. Now, you're treating symptoms. You're not treating people. Right. And there is, I use medications all the time. I use antibiotics. I use the full range of medications available to me. use antidepressants. Lithium actually happens to be a nice anti-inflammatory in the central nervous system. Metformin modifies the, which is used for treatment of diabetes, but metformin is what's called an mTOR. And that modifies the overreaction of the acquired immune system, the antibody system. And uh, that's also been shown to be useful in anti-aging. Yes. Proving longevity. Right. So we'll use metformin for that. Now, that's not been proven for the longevity curve. There's strong suggestion that's there. And there's a big study now going on looking at that. It's going to take a few years for that to come out. But the downsides of metformin are pretty minimal and the upsides look pretty big. And I was originally concerned about doing that during COVID uh, because I didn't want to do anything that modified the immune system in a way that they might not be able to fully react. But it turns out 
that if you were a diabetic and you got COVID and you were on metformin, your odds of survival were much higher than if you weren't on metformin. Mm. So metformin turns out to be a good thing to prevent the overreaction of the immune system. And so we'll utilize metformin uh, in some of these individuals. And we'll also utilize metformin in those who are interested in uh, anti-aging uh, longevity uh, practices. Hmm. I know Mike, uh, melatonin was also, for high doses of melatonin were also used for uh, COVID and with a lot of good results. So melatonin is an antioxidant in the central nervous system. It's anti-inflammatory in the central nervous system. And taking low-dose melatonin, a gram, uh, a milligram or to three milligrams at bedtime, isn't a bad idea on a regular basis to begin with. What we ran into with with COVID, still see with COVID, is this overreaction of the immune system, which kicks out cytokines, big cytokine storms. Cytokines are proteins produced by inflammatory cells in the body. We need them. Their job is to protect us. But if they overreact, they do damage and they can kill us, especially as we saw going on in uh, in COVID. So uh, you want to modify that. Melatonin is certainly one way to do that. Glutathione is a brilliant. Oh, absolutely. And utilizing glutathione as part of the anti... Glutathione reduces the reactivity of the microglia. The glycoglia is... So think in terms of the immune system, Two big divisions. The one division is the innate. Those are your first responders. And in the brain, the microglia are the main ones. Mast cells are there also, very important. Astrocytes, we're still working out the details on. But microglia, two things, three things that we know will sedate, uh, four things, I can think of, that'll help, that'll help quiet the inflammation of the brain. One is exercise. Exercise is one of the best anti-inflammatories for the central nervous system. Okay, Sleep. Good sleep. Why do we sleep? Sleep is a really important thing because what happens during sleep is you have stages of sleep. Sleep isn't just a thing. You have stages two, three, four, and REM. Okay, three, four are generally considered slow-wave sleep. REM is um, uh, uh, the dream sleep. If I wait, put you in a lab and wake you up every time you go into stage three, four sleep defined by the electroencephalogram, in one week's time, you'll have generalized pain. No doubt. No. What happens during stage three, four sleep is a thing called lymphatics. So the brain doesn't have a normal series of drainage ditches in it, lymphatics, as the rest of the body does. The brain is the most metabolically active organ in the body. It produces lots of waste products. Well, those waste products need to be removed from the cell and taken away. So your brain literally swells during the day. And especially if it's inflamed, it really swells. And so sleep becomes crucial because what happens during stage three, four sleep is the glial cells become these specialized drainage ditches, lymphatics. And it's those things that allow the removal of the waste products from the brain. And so you need to be getting sleep and not just sleep, but good quality sleep. So good quality stage three, four sleep in order to allow your brain to detox. So sleep is crucial for the detoxification of the brain and getting stage three, four sleep is especially crucial. So that's why we need to protect sleep. And But taking things like benzodiazepines doesn't screws up the sleep cycle. 
So we don't want to be doing that. We need to do more natural things. Melatonin is certainly one way to do it. L-theanine is another way to do it. Um, but we want to be doing meditation. All of these things can help allow us to sleep better. Eating, making sure you're not eating at least three hours before you go to bed and perhaps eating lighter at night uh, than you do earlier in the day. These simple basic things in order to protect yourself and let your body do what it does best, which is heal. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree 100%. One thing that I've been doing is taking eating a half a sweet potato about three hours before I go to bed. Uh-huh. And it works miracles. Simple, easy, I like it. I mean, it, it, I get... I get into a great deep sleep. Let's talk about, well, but while we're talking about deep sleep, let's talk about some of the other medications that, like, uh, what are the, some of the ones that, that get prescribed for sleep? That So you've got to be, so obviously anything we can do with herbs and spices, acupuncture can also right. be highly effective in helping people sleep. Uh, exercise can be effective uh, in changing your uh, eating habits. But when it comes to, uh, to sleep, when people are really sick and their brains are really inflamed, we need the medications. So now we want to be thoughtful about which medications will do it. So doxepin, which is a tricyclic antidepressant in very low doses, six milligrams, can be very effective at preserving the sleep cycles and helping people return to sleep. So there's a range of metrazodone can also be another useful sleep aid in terms of doing that. We generally stay away from uh, the the typical benzodiazepines uh, that we use for sleep because they don't do a good job of preserving sleep. Uh, and indeed, you'll get, it, it's, it's about getting quantitatively sleep, but, it, but so you'll get six, seven hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep, but it won't be good sleep because the sleep cycles are all screwed up. And that's why you're ultimately not rested and not your sharpest uh, when you wake up in the morning. You wanna, you've gotten good sleep when you wake up after seven, eight hours and you are ready to go. Alert, you're oriented, uh, you feel good, you're ready to roll out of bed. Seven hours of sleep, sometimes seven and a half hours of sleep, I wake up automatically. I don't need an alarm. I wake up, I'm ready to go. And by the way, the very first thing I do in the morning is an hour worth of Qigong and meditation. Oh, nice. First thing I do in the morning. I don't touch emails, I don't touch uh, text, nothing. I go, that's my time for meditation to establish. My platform for the day. And then I'll engage. But first things first is I make sure that I've meditated. I make sure that I'll do my Qigong exercises. And that's how I start my day. How long have you been doing that? Long time. A long time? Good. Long. Good. Well, let's talk about some of the other conditions of, of the inflamed brain. Alzheimer's, ALS. Yep. Uh, depression. Yep. And these are some of the things that we don't, I mean, depression, everybody thinks it's, but depression and, and, you know, it happens. We get depressed, especially over the last two years. I mean, we've went through hell right. as, a, as a country. Right. And, Isolation from others. Right. Uh, very, very difficult time period. And we're not done. No. We're not uh, done. Unfortunately. Omicron 2B is with us. We, uh, the stats I saw yesterday was a 43% rise in cases. We're probably undercounting those by virtue of the fact of all the home testing going on. 
So uh, unfortunately, we're in for another bout. And uh, so we're not done yet. I highly recommend ongoing precautions. I take care of people who are in are compromised. And so all day long, we live in masks. I mean, I have a mask sitting right here. Uh, <laughs> I see my patients with masks. Everybody in my office is masked. Obviously, lots of hand washing. Uh, but I've got to take care of my patients. I've got to protect them. I have to stay healthy. My staff has to stay healthy so that we don't expose our patients to things that's going to harm them more so. And so we make sure. And if, in fact, at this point still, if anybody's acutely ill, we try and manage them on telemedicine. Okay. So we ongoing precautions, we really have to be respectful of the fact that not everybody's healthy and that there are, and the long-haul COVID, we treat long-haul COVID. Somewhere between 10 to 30% of people end up as long haulers. And it can be very serious disease. It can be chronic disabling fatigue. It can be headaches. I have a patient who lost about half his kidney function as a result of COVID. Uh, we see certainly uh, long-term damage to the brain and to the heart. So this COVID is a very serious bug. This is not a cold. And we need to be very careful to do everything we can to prevent getting it, keeping ourselves healthy, uh, and prevent spreading it. Let's talk about that for a minute, because, and this goes along with the gut and the brain, it's because we have to feed our bodies right. Yeah. In order to keep this down. And, you know, like, I was one of the, I'll be quite honest, I've, had, I've said this before, is like, when people, I, I live, when I go to the clinic in, in the morning, I have to pass by a McDonald's and it's, it's right before a stoplight and people always want to get out. I will not let those people out. <laughs> I, I might be, it's the rebel in me, but it's like, <laughs> I just will not let them out. You have to, you went to, you chose to make, go to McDonald's. I'm going to make you sit. If you're late for work, it's your problem because you went to McDonald's. But you know, we, this is a this is serious business because even in the prime of COVID, they closed down the good restaurants, but yet left McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza, uh, Papa John's Pizza, all these crap places up open. Right, and that made me mad because that's what's killing. That's why COVID deaths were so high is because we're not eating properly for our bodies. There is no question that obesity puts you at much higher risk of dying from COVID. Uh, there's no question that diabetes puts you at much higher risk. And a lot of this stuff is manageable by diet. You're absolutely correct. A diet, exercise, uh, meditation. The fundamentals remain the same, getting proper sleep. Right. All the fundamentals are the same. And those are things you have full control of. And we want you to take control of it because it's in your best interest. Right. I mean, and even, and even feeding your brain, like you, you, to your point about gluten and glyphosates. I mean, the glyphosates are everywhere. Yeah. You know, and people don't think about it. I have a guy that was, was struggling with some, a lot of different things. And I, I noticed on his intake that he lived on a golf course. And yep. that was, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What did you, how long have you been on that golf course? How long have you lived on that golf course? So we did a glyphosate test. And sure enough, his glyphosates were off the charts. Yep. Yep. Along with all the other pesticides. And uh, right. we know that the, the, the things we're using on our plants, the things we're using on our lawns are poisonous to us. 
we've we've soiled the nest. We have to stop doing this. Yep. And uh, it's about survival of the species. And if you don't care about your neighbor, at least care about yourself. Care right. about your kids. Uh, it. This is. This is. We're all in this together. And if we've destroyed the oceans because we've dumped mercury into them uh, or plastics, we're now having to deal with the fact that microplastics are showing up in human beings in large numbers. That can't do us any good. No. So we have to. We've got to be respectful. We got to take care of the planet. We're not taking care of the planet. We're not taking care of ourselves. And by the way, where are your lungs located? Hmm. Where are your lungs? Right in the middle. Yeah. Where's the rest of them? Outside. All those trees sitting out there. Yep. Because we breathe in oxygen and out carbon dioxide. They breathe in carbon dioxide and out oxygen. Okay? And we're cutting down trees left and right. That's half our lungs. And when you start realizing that we are not disconnected from our environments, that we are, it is essential that we take care of our environments to take care of ourselves. Those trees are not just pretty. They are essential to our survival. And so we've got to be attentive to this stuff in order to take care of ourselves and be healthy. If we don't make the planet healthy, we ain't going to make us healthy. Right. I, I have a client, uh, as a matter of fact, the guy that went the guy that lived on the golf course. I said, you know what? One thing you need to start working to do is forest bathing. He said, what mm-hmm. the hell is forest bathing? Yep. I said, go for a, go find the woods and walk through it once a week. And just breathe. Yes. Absolutely, positively. Or go out, and preferably in a non-fertilized uh, lawn, uh, go out and just walk barefoot. But, right. Along and ground yourself. And connect. Right. Connect to the planet. We don't. We we, we live stop doing that. Yeah. So I mean, this- I actually, I think, I think one of the reasons, and this is just my opinion, and you can tell me if I'm on the right direction. But I think one of the reasons autoimmune diseases are on the rise at a fast rate is because we overprotect our children from from germs. So that's the hygiene theory, uh, and there's a strong argument for it. That basically, um, there's a book called uh, Eat Dirt. By my, um, Dr. Mark Harmon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that we live in too sterile an environment. And I think that the immune system doesn't get the workout it needs in order to be strong and healthy uh, and to protect us. So I think you're correct. I think we need to be a little less sterile. There's nothing wrong with the kids getting a little right. sick and fighting these things off. But I mean, when we grew up, when I, I'm I'm six, I'll be sixty three. We we ate dirt. <laughs> we made dirt. We made freaking dirt pies. Yep. And we would come home dirty. Mom yeah. would be like, "Go get in the shower. You're dirty." Yeah. And without eating the dirt, just being exposed right. to all the right. microbes in the soil. Right. But you also need to make sure it's healthy soil. Right. And that's the problem. It was healthy soil right. because we're not fertilizing the hell out of everything. Putting herbicides on. So, you know, when we were growing up, you dug the weeds up. You didn't spread stuff all right. over the, all over the no. lawn. I mean, that's what we need to get back to. To an extent, you're absolutely correct. You're I absolutely mean, correct. who cares if you got the best lawn in the neighborhood? Go First of all, you can eat the dandelions. If, if you're not spraying the lawn, go eat the dandelions. Make dandelion tea. 
Absolutely. You can, in fact, we are crazy. We've done a lot of damage with the lawns that we uh, we have. And yeah, we're just not treated our environment respectfully. The end result is we're not treating ourselves respectfully. One thing before, I've got some questions from the listeners. Uh, first of all, I got a question for you real off the top of my head is, I'm big into peptide sciences right now. I don't know why I jumped on the bandwagon through all the through Ben Greenfield and uh, Mr. Dave and and uh, Jay, but there's a peptide for brain health. Yeah, cyberbolism. Yeah, I don't know if I said well, it right. No, but let me tell you, I have looked into peptides. I have not. I've not got enough background on them to okay. really make. On them. They look very promising. I think there's a lot of exciting uh, research looking at them. But for myself, I just haven't had the time to really dive into them and uh, be able to start utilizing them. But I think there's a lot of promise there. And um, people who know about them, I I think, are worth listening to. Right. I think there's a lot. I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, we've been using MOTC uh, at the clinic for diabetes and high ALT and high ASTs and with a with a really good results with MOTC twice a week at little little doses. We've been getting some good results from. And I, I don't know. I just I just think that there's some I think we need to keep evolving in good medicine and stop worrying about and, and stop using polypharmacy and, and over treating with drugs. You know I- Everything's about a balance. So one of the things that I'm doing research on now, and I'm particularly excited about, is cytokines. Cytokines are the small peptides, the small proteins that are used to, that are the inflammatory factors in the body. And they have all kinds of weird names like Rantase, interleukin-6, and interleukin-4. But we've, uh, Bruce Patterson from Incel Diagnostics, Incel Diagnostics was one of the speakers at this uh, international uh, symposium uh, we ran. And by the way, I want to mention that because I think it's very important. We, in February, I uh, had the privilege of chairing an international symposium on uh, this business of autoimmune inflammation in the brain secondary to infections. Uh, it was sponsored by Georgetown. Uh, it's a medical conference. I was in an international conference. We had speakers from all over the world, but we had top guys. We had people from uh, Columbia. We had people from Stanford, from obviously Georgetown, from Duke, uh, but also from Oxford and some of the top universities in Israel and Germany uh, who are our speakers. That conference was extremely important because it laid down the scientific foundation for uh, our a new way of thinking about all of these conditions of chronic fatigue and depression and all this stuff we've been talking about, Pan's Pandas. Dr. Sueto was also one of our speakers to look at this as, as an autoimmune process set off by an infection. And so uh, that conference is available uh, on the foundation website at hopehealingknowledge.com. So hopehealingknowledge.com or at the Foundation for Total Recovery. Uh, those, uh, you can uh, have access to those for a small fee uh, for the entire conferences there. And there's also a two-hour uh, conference held a couple of weeks later that Dr. Uh, Katz and myself, my co-chair, did in terms of answering a lot of the questions from the public. 
One of the things we did with that conference was we had patient stories built into the conference. And we had one of the patients actually That's speak awesome. her experience. Yeah. This is crucial because it's not, we have to remind ourselves at all times why we're here. We can get lost in the rarefied realms of academia, but we've got to bring it down and remember we're here because people are sick and we need better ways to treat them. And so this conference was an academic conference, but there's a lot of accessible information for patients to begin to educate their own physicians and themselves about these kind of issues and get the help that they deserve. That conference will be published within the next year in one of the immunology journals. So I'm working to... Um, to educate my own profession about this stuff. Because there's easily 20 million people out there who are struggling that need better answers. And that's why we're here. That's also why I wrote the book. The book is Why You're Still Sick. It will be available on uh, June 14th through Amazon. Uh, it'll be available for pre-publication uh, purchase uh, through my website at kaplanclinic.com, but it also has a May 1st would be available pre-publication purchase on Amazon. Um, when, that, what, what's the date on that? June 14th. So on June 14th on Amazon? Okay. On Amazon. And that book is a step-by-step instructions on how to recover your health, how to diagnose things, how to recover things. So it's written for people to put a lot of information in their hands, and a lot of tools in their hands, what tests to get, when to get the testing, what you're looking for, as well as an explanation of this whole new concept of looking at these diseases, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic depression, chronic pain, as symptoms of an underlying autoimmune process that's going on. So Why You're Still Sick is the name of the book, and uh, HopeHealingKnowledge.com is the foundation website to look at the conference. We want to get this information out to as many people as possible. I want people to be able to have the knowledge to help themselves and help themselves recover. I want them, the physicians, to start learning this new understanding of why people are sick and what it is we can do to help them get better. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. That's good because it, it needs to, things need to change if we're going to keep moving forward as a, as, a, as humans. And, I mean, and that book is, there were over a thousand references that went into writing that book. I wanted to make sure that book was bulletproof as far as the science was concerned. So we're talking science here. We're right, not talking right. opinion. Some of it's at the edge of the science. I'll grant you that. Right. The reality of the matter is there's a logical progression to that conclusion based on the literature, based on the science. And so I'm open for debate. I'm open for discussion on it. But we have to do better because we're failing miserably millions and millions of people. Have you one one more question from you? And then I got uh, uh, three questions from listeners. Then we can end this out. Leaky brain. Have you ever tried the leaky brain test from Cyrix? Uh, I haven't used that test. Cyrix is a good lab. But I haven't specifically used that as specifically because I actually know it's already happened. Right. <laughs> All right. Exactly. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out your brain's leaky. I need it. If I'm doing a test, it's I'm doing a test because A, I, I can believe the data coming back to me that's useful. And B, it's actionable. How's okay. it going to help me treat you better? Right. How's it going to make a difference? So okay. when we do testing in our office, we don't charge for the test, same as you. We, it's all with the lab. You pay for the lab, but uh, we do not mark up testing. That testing 
That's not our business. It's not what we're involved in. Okay, let's talk about, here's three questions. What's the number one thing you see most often as missing that must be in place to reduce neuroinflammation? That, you know, again, I get back to the basics of sleep, exercise, meditation, and diet. Without question, that's most fundamental to everything. After that, supplements that can help are taking glutathione, taking probiotics, taking omega-3s, taking uh, melatonin, vitamin C and quercetin can help with the immune system, resveratrol. So there's a lot of good supplements. Coffee. Coffee actually helps the brain, but you need to make sure you're drinking cold. Right. So you want to make sure you're drinking mold-free coffee. Uh, And I'll give a plug to Bulletproof uh, because David's done his homework and uh, he really produces a high-quality coffee that's mold-free. Trick is getting a mold-free coffee because most coffees have a lot of mold. Exactly. I'm glad you hit that point on coffee because most people don't understand that and you're drinking mold. And it goes, it just, you anyway. Almond milk, by the way, is another thing you got to pay attention to. A lot of mold in almond milk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now make your own almond milk. It's easy. You know, you soak well, the nuts. The, the almonds are mold free. There's a lot of mold in nuts. Oh, yeah, right. There you go. I forgot. It. Yeah, you're right. Especially mass produced nuts. Right. So you've got to be paying attention to what this stuff is. After that, uh, I would certainly look, look at sleep apnea as, some of the low-hanging fruit, and then there are infections. A lot of, unfortunately, there's too many infections going around. Lyme disease, in particular, which is very frequently missed, and so that testing has to be done uh, oh. appropriately. But basically, if you're having problems with focus and concentration, fatigue, headaches, kind of stuff that's nagging at you and generally starting to pull you down, you might want to pay attention to whether or not you're poisoning yourself. Or what your diet looked like. Clean up your diet. You might want to see whether or not you're in a mold-infested building. Has there been water damage to the building? And get the air quality checked in the building that you're living in, the house you're living in, or the work where you are. So looking for environmental things uh, that may be creating the problem. EMF is another consideration. Electromagnetic. Yeah, it's a biggie. Sitting around uh, all kinds of, you know, we live in a 5G environment. Right. Which has its pros and has its cons. So you've got to be attentive to that. Well, there's a lot of protection out there too. And I've done a couple of podcasts on that. And one of the ones that came that I love, and I'm going to make a plug for uh, EMF rocks, these rocks that are, man, I love, I, I put one at the, I, I didn't believe in it. I, I kid you not, doc. I got the, he sent me a, a bag, this bag of rocks. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, come on. But I tell you, I put that at the head of my bed in between the wall and my headboard, or right by my my bed pillow in the in the wall, uh-huh. and my deep sleep went up one hour. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And I've been tracking it since I started using it. Now, some nights it dips because I didn't eat right or I ate too late. But for the most part, my deep sleep has went up anywhere between a half an hour to a full hour because that so, rocks. That's spectacular. Other things to do. Do not leave your cell phone next to your bed. Right. Do not leave your iPad next to your bed. Move it to the other side of the room or even out of the room. Right. Don't have your router sitting in your bedroom. Right. Uh, you know, I put it. my router on a timer. Yeah. Or it shuts down at midnight and, oh, and it kicks back up at six o'clock. Absolutely. 
So there's lots you can do, simple things you can do in order to be able to decrease your exposure to this stuff. Uh, the next question is, what's the best way to assess the extent of information? And we kind of touched base on that. So that's a bit trickier because uh, C-reactive protein is a blood test that can be yep. taken down as can sedimentation rate. Both are cheap, simple tests that can be done uh, in the blood. Um, after that, it's a lot trickier. You want to look at hemoglobin A1C, certainly, which we talked about if your blood sugars are elevated. But there's not a lot of regular testing to be done that will show inflammation in the body. Right. Uh, and a lot of the inflammation, the reason I know about the inflammation is the research says it's there. So Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is a very interesting disease. There are tau and beta tangles that occur in the brain, okay? But not everybody who has those changes in the brain develops Alzheimer's. What's the missing sauce? If we look at microglia, and there are mm. studies we can do to microglia looking at PET scans. If the microglia are activated, meaning your brain's inflamed, you get Alzheimer's. Mm. If the microglia are not activated, even though you have all of these tau tangles, and a, a beta deposition, you don't have Alzheimer's. So inflammation is the key. So really, inflammation is going to appear more in terms of symptoms, focus, concentration, fatigue, pain, headaches. Uh, it may show up also as digestive problems. It may show up as POTS. Uh, it may show up as obsessive compulsive disorder. It may show up uh, as any of a number of different kind of generalized symptoms that aren't quite making sense. And that's indicative of a body that's kind of inflamed. Okay. And you want to look at that. Are the system, are, do you have multi-system stuff going on? Not just, do my arm hurts because I'm overusing it. All right. What's the last one? What do you see as the biggest culprit to unresolved chronic pain? And where have you seen the most success? I think one of the biggest culprits is unidentified infections uh, and unidentified toxins. And, uh, and that then subsequently injures the immune system. So now you got three things going on. You got, you've been poisoned. You've got an infection that hasn't been identified, treated. As I, the example I gave early on with the complex regional pain syndrome, with my daughter having Lyme disease that was previously undiagnosed. And then you've got an immune system which is fired off and is now attacking your own nervous system. That's the sequence that we see most commonly. And when we address that, we get rid of the toxins, we treat the infection, and then treat the immune system, we get people better. Okay. All right. One question before we go. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I, yeah, thank man, you. you're, you're, you're a rock star in my book. Uh, what, and this is a question that has nothing to do with medicine, but mm -hmm. if Dr. Gary Kaplan had 35, 30 to 45 minutes to kill or chill, what album or artist would you put on to listen to? Uh, probably, actually, what I'd do is meditate. Okay. Probably do Qigong and meditation uh, in terms of doing that, because that's, that's how I like to chill out. Or um, I would... I would probably read sci-fi. My favorite pastime is is going through sci-fi. Okay. Sci-fi, reading the old, and I'll and I'll put a plug in for what I just finished was uh, the Murderbot series. 
which is flat out hysterical in the in the category of Doug Adams, uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. So I, good comedy in addition to good sci-fi. Okay. That's on that's on Netflix or in a book? It's a book. Okay. Those are okay. books. I, I like sitting and reading and reading. Well, where uh, you? That's awesome. Okay. I get all kinds of answers for this and it's amazing. And I just like to ask it. I mean, I, uh, Jay Campbell said that he puts on angelic sounds in the mm-hmm. background. Yep. So thank all you so much. I appreciate it. And, uh, and I'll put the links uh, for the hopehealingknowledge.com. Hopehealingknowledge.com. Okay. It will get and your you book comes out. I'm going to put that in there June 14th. June 14th. Friday. And right now, if you go to his website, uh, which is kaplanclinic.com, you can download chapter one, and which I've done and read. And if you really want to go back and read an amazing book, <laughs> And it, it was written in 2014, but it's, it, it's the one that woke me up and, and kind of drove me into the path that uh, is called Total Recovery. And I think this, this book is a little bit of an expansion on that book, right? Well, this is a big expansion on that. Okay. First off, this is a lot of self-help. This okay. is what you can do for yourself and how you can do it. And it talks about the acquired immune system. We've learned so much in that time period. This is a big expansion on what, what we did in the first book. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. And I appreciate it. Tom, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.